Hi, welcome to our podcast. Uh, we're in season 11 um, and episode five, uh, and we're talking about platforms and ecosystems. And, um, and we, I, we're fascinated by, by it because it is something that's evolving and a lot of our clients are trying to figure out how they play in it. So our previous discussions have been about, you know, when you, when you run into one, should you join it and how and when and why? Um, but this one, we really want to look at it a little bit different and say, what if you decide that you want to actually lead it or start to create one? What's involved in that? And so we're going to we're going to banter this one around. Uh, of course, I'm Mary Abazia and Tom Spitali and Sean Wellam are with me. So uh, who wants to take this one head on? I'd like to should volunteer you, Tom for this. <laughs> <laughs> should you actually even lead one? Uh, I'm going to go off script a little bit because we talked about this and I thought of a better question to kick it off. I mean, when should you consider starting a platform in your industry? You know, what, what are the circumstances where you go, wow, uh, or, or, or in an industry, maybe you're, maybe you're an outsider to an industry, but um, you know, that's a good place to start. Like what circumstances do we see out there where platforms have actually come in? We'll think about the platforms that are famous and out there, Amazon and, and Uber and some of the others. What were some of the problems that they solved to great success? And how does that help maybe our clients figure out whether they should start a platform or not? So I'll throw that out there. What do you think? What are the problems that the, the current platforms are, are, are solving? You know, I think you take it from different perspectives, right? From the consumer's perspective. I mean, we, we, I don't want to rehash all the stuff we talked about, but just for clarity, a platform is a, is a meeting place where producers and consumers get together on aggregates, makes it a, a, a more um, vibrant marketplace. Uh, and I say producers and consumers because it also includes information platforms such as Twitter or Instagram. Those kind of things are platforms, but they're not selling anything as such or not directly. But I think the, uh, the, the problems I solve from the consumer perspective is, is one of, of choice and convenience. You know, if you think back to, is Amazon the granddaddy of platform businesses? I know they go all the way back to medieval market towns, but <laughs> in the modern era, that solved the problem for me of, of, uh, of having an unlimited inventory of books, which a bookstore simply couldn't yeah. hold. And it, it made it uh, convenient and, and it was easier to browse. And it just made the experience. Um, I didn't have to travel to, to a bookstore to be disappointed that they didn't have the book I wanted in and, and had to order it. So it's all about convenience and choice and um, making the transaction more, less stressful, less friction in the transaction. So one aspect of a platform is can you, can you offer the, the consumer something that makes an improvement over their current state would be the first tick in the box you would need, I would suggest. And I want to add to, to what you're saying, Sean. Um, I was intrigued when I ran across this thing called the Mom Project um, because they seem to be solving one of those problems, Tom, that you're talking about, which is kind of like, how do we, how do we un-Amazon or do something different than Amazon? And this Mom Project is a leading cultural movement. They said that they have... 300 million earning potential to connect 600,000 moms and dads with uh, world-class brands like Apple, um, Etsy, um, Nike, 
So, and they're backed by Serena Williams and a couple of other incredible advisors. <laughs> so they're just, you know, it, it's amazing when you have that much of a movement that says we're gonna do something different. And then you, you start to structure it in a way that, that helps you fund the problem you're trying to solve, if you will. And that's what they seem to be doing here quite well. And that's another interesting thing, Mary, for the people setting up the platform. And we talked about the consumer benefit, but there's also um, ultimately everything is driven by economics, right? That, that's just the reality of the world we live in, that there's an economic element to everything that evolves. And, and in that case, if you, could, if you can aggregate sufficient buyer power, if you could be the person that, that can create some sort of collective bargaining approach where you can go to app and say, we have X million users that are right in your sweet spot. Um, you can maybe use that as a negotiation point to, to extract some rent, as the economists call it, to take some money out of the market. So the other benefit, if you've got critical mass, um, you, you could also see some platforms as, as being an aggregation of buyer power. Not all, because some are, are there to, to increase competition and to lower transaction costs. There's, there's multiple reasons why these things exist, but I think that's another really valid one, is if you, if you have a, a sort of um, an affinity group, be it moms or soccer fans or fishermen or whatever it is, and you can, you can find enough commonality to get them on the same platform, you automatically have a portal that suppliers will want to supply to. Yeah. I think the friction, I'm going to try to kind of piece together things that both of you said, I think the friction in a B2B marketplace oftentimes has a lot to do with time. In other words, the typical B2B transaction or sales process involves an individual buyer having to have conversations or interactions with several different suppliers, right? And try to find the best fit and the best price. And so I think when it comes down to whether or not a company should form a B2B platform, you look at that and say, how big of a problem is that in our industry? You know, do, do buyers tend to spend an inordinate amount of time trying to shop around? And could they benefit from you know, a situation where they could go to one place and find a variety of products and services that, you know, they often buy and has the added benefit because the various suppliers know that other suppliers are on the same platform, maybe does start to drive down that transactional cost, you know. Um, so is that, is that an issue in an industry? It seems like um, what's interesting for B2B is, isn't that kind of the mission statement of an association too? Um, and so I wonder how in the, from an association, if you're in industrial type products, isn't that what your association should be doing or could be doing? And is there an opportunity if you're a part of association to demand more of that in some way? Yeah, I think that's one of the things that differentiates when we think about platforms, what makes it both an interesting but also a somewhat confusing topic. Because if you're, in a, if you're really going down that model of we've got a bunch of members, whether the membership is formal or informal or it's affinity based or just an association, if you want to leverage that into a marketplace by creating a, a sort of toll bridge into that market, is that really a platform? I guess it's part of it. 
But that does sound a lot more like a, a, a buyer group, uh, not that newer phenomenon, I suppose. Um, whereas a platform, I think at least in the modern sense, how, how we're seeing them at the moment is, is, is pretty agnostic and neutral in and of itself. It, its mission is to connect these consumers with the producers and to try and do that in a way that, that adds value to both parties at sufficient scale to make it a viable business model. And I wonder if there's too much self-interest at the very beginning, whether you would ever succeed in making a platform, whether you need to have a sort of one step removed approach to the, to the platform itself, if you follow what I'm saying. But yeah, but I think if you step back from it, Sean, um, we often talk about critical capabilities, right? And what's a company's critical capabilities and that you should build your value proposition on the critical capabilities that you are superior at, can have an advantage at in the marketplace. And I think it's an interesting idea that Mary brings up because associations do have some of those critical capabilities that seem like you could build an effective platform on, notwithstanding what you just said, Sean, about the self-interest piece of it. But, you know, one of the biggest problems at the beginning stage of a platform is scale, the network effect. You're trying to get enough people utilizing the platform to create that kind of, you know, benevolent competition. <laughs> it's not really benevolent. That transaction cost competition, where there's a lot of suppliers that want to be on the platform. They want to be they, they want to be aggressive with their prices. And that whole thing starts to build on itself. Well, an association, certain types of associations might be well-suited, have that critical capability of a lot of connections in an industry where they might be able to foment that kind of uh, thing pretty quickly. So and it would be built in, in the member's interest. That's the thing, isn't it? Because I was also tuning around the idea, and I'll, I'll throw it out now, is about this idea of independence. I had experience way, way back, I'm going back to the 90s, where... Um, there was a platform for sharing inventory of used cars amongst multiple dealers. The idea being that they could all benefit. If their customer walked in on the lot and said they wanted a, a, a lime green Chevy, they, they could look at a bigger database, identify a suitable car, call that dealer up and say, I've got a buyer. And, and maybe both parties would benefit. There's, there's more demand. It's a great idea. Turns out, that the company ultimately behind this platform was owned by one of the major auto manufacturers. <laughs> and when other dealers found out, other franchises found out, they said, there's no way you're sharing your data with whoever it happened to be. I won't name names because I'm not confident I can remember. But if you say, no, because they're creating this platform, seemingly benign, seemingly adding value, but clearly with an ulterior motive. <laughs> now, I don't know if they did or not, but it would give them a lot of access to market-rich data of who's buying what and transaction yeah. prices and demand. So everyone says not touching it. And I think that would be a challenge for a B2B business who's, who's predominantly in a particular market saying, let's be the platform for medical devices. Because I'm not sure you'd get other medical device companies to join the party if they thought you somehow had privileged access. So independence might be a, a key success factor in developing a platform. I think independence and governance, uh, you know, I, I think they're related content, concepts, but governance being, you know, I, I'm thinking it of it from the end 
buyer's perspective, Sean, you're talking about it from a supplier's perspective, but basically, you know, to get supplier participation, to get buyer participation, it's got to be deemed a fair and unbiased place to go. For yeah. example, the suppliers, as you're mentioning, Sean, have to feel like, you know, they can participate without benefiting maybe a key comp competitor. You know, the, the, the buyers got to feel like they're getting fair value, right? And that this is a place that they, you know, if Amazon was a, a, a place where you were hit or miss, whether the products were going to be, you know, suitable or not, and Amazon didn't give a flip, uh, it, it wouldn't be nearly as successful. So right. I think that, that, you know, at least perceived independence, <laughs> you know, might be a, might be a really important factor, but it's, it's also not just about, um, you know, plugging in, if you're a platform developer, plugging in, driving down transaction costs and taking a piece of the, the money and going happily on your way. You know, there's a significant amount of work that's involved in building a platform to govern it mm. and to make sure that it's a place where everyone can benefit the way that they, you know, they intend to benefit or, or hope. That yeah, they benefit. I think that's the, the, how it's positioned is key. And that's why I mentioned it, because we talked about that, that, that network effect you mentioned, Tom, it's got to have a critical mass. You need both consumers and producers and they need to be of sufficient mass to then organically grow and become this self-perpetuating, what they call a flywheel model, where the more people you have on one side of the equation, the more you attract on the other. Um, and you raise a good point. It's not, it, it is about the perception of independence because back to my example, because I remember having this conversation and they were saying this whole company is a subsidiary. It's nothing to do with X motor manufacturer. <laughs> if yeah. part of the fact that we own it, there's Chinese wall between the, 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 their data and our data. We can't access it. Did anyone buy that? Not at all. They just felt mm. like you were taking an unnecessary risk or maybe just you were adverse to enriching or, or lining the pockets of your competitors. So that is a, a hurdle. I agree it's, it's not insurmountable, but it is something to bear in mind when you think, should I go into a platform business? Is, is will you, do you have the right stuff? Will it, will it take off? Will you not face a headwind of, of having no one on the supply side on your platform? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look at this a little bit differently. What I also think beyond making sure that you can set up something that is, you know, you have the suppliers is almost like you're setting up a new business or you're launching a product, but the product launch is a bit different than you would for building a medical device. You know, medical device should build it and then hopefully marketing, you know, does the, the stage gates and, and they get it out. But with this, it's kind of interesting the way we're talking about it, you kind of have to go in different phases. Like this mom, the mom project, they have 600,000 people. They're just now advertising for a VP of brand of marketing. And this job description that they posted is, you know, you have to have a lot of experience. I'm not, you know, so somehow they have to find somebody that already has been doing some platform work, but it's all around protecting the brand. So um, they're at that next stage where they have to say, we have to really brand develop and find very talented people that can help us do that, which I think is a really interesting rollout. You know, it's almost like you want to see the picture of the phases of how you roll out a platform differently than a product. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's one of the key differences, Mary, is you need to build the scale 
almost before you build the brand. Exactly. In some ways, you need to have some tangibility there because otherwise you've got very little to brand. You've got to have that interaction and, and seed it with people um, who are willing to participate and then monetize, then, then grow. Yeah, how do you do that? <laughs> that's a, maybe that's something that should be a, a subject of our, of, our, of our next, you know. I, I, I'm not sure I can add much to that. I actually had experience. We, we launched a, um, a credit card once. And that, that was exactly the challenge. It was a fuel card. It was specifically for buying fuel. <laughs> and we went to the large fleets. Would you like our fuel card? We were, we were a large, credible bank. And they were like, uh, yeah, how many places accepts it? And we went, well, none yet. But if you all take the card, there'll be loads. They said, yeah, come back to us when that happens. So we go to the retailers, the petrol gas stations, and we'd say, um, do you want to take this card? Yeah, how many uses have you got? Well, not many, but we'll have thousands once you accept it. Yeah, come back to me when you have them. And that chicken and egg, um, I'm not saying it's unsolvable because it clearly is, but I just want to declare an interest. I couldn't solve it. I think we gave up at that point and said, like, you know what, let's move on to something else. Let's let's change the plan. Yeah, it's a t- tricky one. Well, let's let's agree to look at that next time. Um, because I I think you know, we can we can step back, we can look at, you know, for example, how Amazon and Uber did it, how some others have done it, and see if there's some best practices that we might be able to to pull out and share, share with our listeners about how you solve that. It, it is it is probably, I don't even think probably, it's the biggest platform challenge there is. The chicken or egg problem, how do you solve it? <laughs> Yeah. Well, I, I think if we if we manage to solve it before the next podcast, we might want to think about how we could monetize that. Right. That's pretty valuable information. I think the reality is we're going to we're going to find ways of how do you uh, how do you mitigate? How do you give yourself the best odds? Because it is uh, it is a tricky one. But if we do solve it, uh, happy days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The impact platform. Um Anyway, well, we hope that you've uh, got a couple of new ideas from this. We always love to hear from you. Thank you. A lot of you guys have given us good feedback. So keep that coming. And um, we look forward to talking with you on our next podcast. Thank you. Thank you.